today, um, the Church of England is not necessarily a, a bastion of evangelical truth. Um, it's generally not a place that one might go to hear faithful biblical exposition or even a simple gospel presentation often. But that hasn't always been the case. Consider, for example, the best thing to ever come out of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle. Listen to this description of Bishop Ryle. The Church of England has had many bishops, some of them noble, others ignoble. Certain of them have passed away unwept and unsung. Not so John Charles Ryle, the first bishop of the new diocese of Liverpool. And he served in that position from 1880 to 1900. In England, Ryle stands as the foremost rank of those who have held forth the word of life and fought the good fight of faith. He's one of the Lord's standard bearers of the late Victorian age. The healthful spirit of God's grace was upon him. Being dead, he continues to speak to our backslidden generation. Well, in one of his collection of works entitled Knots Untied, Ryle addressed several issues facing the Church of England and the English society as a whole in the late 1800s. And interestingly enough, many of the things that he addressed are issues that we also must grapple with here over a hundred years later. So, for example, he writes this. He says, There is a subject in the present day which demands the serious attention of all professing Christians. That subject is the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day. It is a subject which is forced upon our notice, he writes. The minds of many are agitated by questions arising out of it. Is the observance of a Sabbath binding on Christians? Have we any right to tell a man uh, that to do his business or seek his pleasure on a Sunday is a sin? Is it desirable to open places of public amusement on the Lord's day? All these are questions that are continually asked, Ryle writes. They're questions to which we ought to be able to give a decided answer. The subject is one on which many diverse and strange doctrines abound. Statements are continually made about Sunday, which plain, unsophisticated readers of the Bible find it impossible to reconcile with the Word of God. If these statements proceeded only from the ignorant and irreligious part of the world, the defenders of the Sabbath would have no reason to be surprised. But they may well wonder when they find educated and religious persons among their adversaries. It is a melancholy truth that in some quarters the Sabbath is wounded by those who ought to be its best friends. Then listen carefully to this. He says, the subject is one which is of immense importance. It is not too much to say that the prosperity or decay of organized Christianity depends on the maintenance of the Christian Sabbath. He says, break down the fence which now surrounds the Sunday and our Sunday schools will soon come to an end. Let in the hood of worldliness and the pleasure-seeking on the Lord's Day without check or hindrance, and our congregations will soon dwindle away. There's not too much religion in the land now. 
destroy the sanctity of the Sabbath, and they would soon be far less. Nothing, in short, I believe, would so thoroughly advance the kingdom of Satan as to withdraw legal protection from the Lord's day. These are strong words 125 years ago. It would be a joy to the infidel, he says, but it would be an insult and offense to God. I ask the attention of all professing Christians. While I try to say a few plain words about the subject as a minister of Christ, as a father of a family, a lover of my country, I feel bound to plead on behalf of the old Christian Sunday. My sentence is emphatically expressed in the words of Scripture. Let us keep it holy. Listen to this summary. He says, the Sabbath is an unmixed good for a man's soul. The soul has its wants just as much as the mind and body. It is in the midst of a hurrying, bustling world in which its interests are constantly in danger of being jostled out of sight. To have those interests, that is the interests of the soul, properly attended to, there must be a special day set apart. There must be a regular recurring time for examining the state of our souls. There must be a day to test and prove us whether we are prepared for an eternal heaven. Take away a man's Sabbath and his religion soon comes to nothing. And then he says this, as a general rule, there is a regular rite of steps down from no Sabbath to no God. Now, <clears throat> you might be thinking that those statements are certainly hyperbole, or at least they're hearkening back to a, a quainter day, the Victorian era of London. You might be thinking that Bishop Ryle is exaggerating or lamenting the loss of rules and decrying the freedom that an enlightened society brings. But 60 or 70 years after he wrote that, what started happening in our own country, across the pond in the United States? The so-called blue laws started to be repealed. And restaurants and stores started to be open on Sundays, particularly with the development of shopping malls, which are kind of gone now. But also really beginning with professional sports in the 1930s and then eventually trickling down into college sports, then high school, then grade school, athletic competition started to take place on Sundays where previously it was forbidden, even, even if it was just forbidden informally. At first it was just in the afternoon. But then games and practices started to be scheduled earlier and earlier. And now in our own community, Sunday is just another part of the weekend. In fact, it's probably the best part of the week. You get your lawn mowed on Saturday and Sunday is just a day off. You could do whatever you want. You can look back throughout all of church history and even, even the, the history of our own nation, most of our history, back, really even back to the founding of Jamestown in Virginia 
And you can find a respect for the Sabbath day, an effort to keep it holy. But, but for most of us, m- most of us in here have never really experienced a society that participates in any kind of Sabbath rest. And that really last 50 years or so, that's unique in the history of Christianity. Maybe it's really, um, this is really one of the first laws of God, one of the first of the Ten Commandments that is abandoned when a society becomes increasingly non-Christian. Now, I know what some of you probably are thinking. Here we go. Another Christian who doesn't like fun, who wants to give me rules or shame me into coming to church. Nope, not at all. I'm not anti-going out to eat on Sundays. I'm not anti-watching TV on Sunday afternoons. And, and I'm not even, I won't say this often, but I'm not even anti-sport Because honoring the Sabbath day is not about what you cannot do. It is not a list of prohibited activities. Rather, it is a celebration of what God has done. To remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy, to to remember the Lord's day and to keep it holy is a celebration of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and His victory over sin and death. Leviticus 23, I'm going to read just verses 1 to 3, then we'll pray. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Let's stop and pray here. Father, we... We need to rest. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be able to rest even as your word is proclaimed today. That we can rest in the finished work of Christ. We're a busy, busy people. Help us to rest. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one thing that hopefully you've understood as we've worked through this book, the book of Leviticus, really over the past several months, One thing I hope that you've seen is that these laws are focused, they're actually focused mainly on the worship life of the people of Israel. As Christians, this actually makes sense to us, right? The worship life. We're pretty familiar with verses like Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or, or, or think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, which just simply says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we understand that, that all of life is worship, praising God for what He has done. But we also understand that that worship must actually be an an actual event. It must be something that we we consciously attend to. 
And so we must assemble together as a body of believers and sing praises to our God. These chapters of Leviticus here that we've been looking at over the past several weeks, beginning especially beginning in chapter 21 and going really for quite a few more chapters, they're primarily concerned uh, with the laws for showing, showing proper reverence to the holy things of the Lord. Be that the, the, the priests themselves, chapter 21, the food portions of the offerings, or the sacrificial animals themselves. And now this chapter, chapter 23, focuses on the Lord's holy days, especially when and how to observe them. And as we work through this chapter, we're going to see that there are, depending on how you look at them, um, there are seven or eight identified holy days, holidays, most of which, actually most of which last more than a day. There's the Sabbath, we're looking at that today. Then comes Passover, which is connected with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then there's the Feast of Firstfruits, the, the Feast of Weeks, which is sometimes called the Feast of Harvest. Later it will come to be known as Pentecost. Um, there's the Feast of Trumpets, then the Day of Atonement, and then finally the Feast of Booths. And while all of these holidays, these holy days, has a, a unique aim, a unique focus, they each really look at or, or focus on some particular aspect of who the Lord is and what He has done for His people. And in fact, one of the themes that is constant through all of these feasts, all of these festivals, these holidays, one of the themes that is constant through almost all of them is the idea of a day of rest. A day of rest. So the chapter begins with a, with a weekly Sabbath, and then it moves chronologically through the Hebrew calendar, addressing the, the annual holidays for the people, and it, it really is only the Feast of the first fruits that does not prohibit ordinary work. This, this brings a kind of a Sabbath feel to the entire year, and, and it acts as a constant reminder of the covenant promises of God for the people. This is appropriate, especially beginning with a weekly Sabbath, because all of these, through all of these feasts, all of these festivals, uh, uh, the Israelites are taught that everything, all of their days, all of their events, all of it belongs to God. And as members of God's covenant people, they were to honor Him and give thanks to Him by observing the days and the seasons that He had given to them for their good and for His glory. And, and the, most, the most basic, the most ordinary of the holy days was the Sabbath. See, not only is the Sabbath the, the oldest of the, of the holy days, rooted in God's rest on the seventh day of creation. But it was also given to the people of Israel as a sign, as a constant reminder of the covenant that God had made with them at Mount Sinai. So listen to Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 and 17. 
The Lord gives this law. He says, therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, consider that. He rested and was refreshed. Do you think that means that God was worn out? That he needed to stay home and watch a little TV for the afternoon and just kind of take it easy? Obviously, it can't mean anything like that, right? See, see, in keeping this covenant sign, in keeping the Sabbath, the people of Israel were testifying to themselves to each other, and to the world around them that they were in covenant communion with the Creator. Or to put it in simpler terms, their enjoyment of a Sabbath rest was based on the celebration in heaven by God who rested in creation. See, in Hebrew, this idea of to rest or to Sabbath It's not like resting from exhaustion. It it literally means to cease. So in creation, God is saying essentially on the seventh day, it is finished. The work is done. Now he is able to enjoy the fruit of his labors. Consider that, that chapter divide. It's kind of unfortunate sometimes where the chapters divide up the books. But that chapter divide between Genesis 1 and 2. So the last verse of chapter 1 and the first couple of verses of chapter 2 goes like this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. The Sabbath was established in creation as a reminder to un fallen humans that he had created everything perfect. The Sabbath was established in creation. There at Genesis at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, it was established as a reminder to the unfallen humans that God had made everything perfect. Keep that in mind as we work through this. Here's the thing. Like the Pharisees in the New Testament, just like them, we have come to view the Sabbath, and in fact, the Christian Sabbath, as a chore, as coming with a list of forbidden activities, blue laws. But unlike the Pharisees, who saw the laws and they added to them, they added laws to those laws and and, and vigorously, vigorously enforced the Sabbath, actually making it a yoke of burden, unlike them, we've just simply rejected it altogether. This doesn't apply to us, we say. So here are two things to keep in mind. First, the Sabbath laws are some of the most repeated laws in the Bible. 
The Sabbath laws are some of the most repeated laws in the Bible. They're all over both the Old and New Testaments. And then second, it was, it was Christ's Sabbath day miracles throughout the Gospels that pushed the Pharisees to seek his destruction. It was his, in their view, violation of the Sabbath laws. So, for example, in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, we, we read this. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, that is, the Pharisees, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and immediately his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The Pharisees used the Sabbath as a way to accuse and destroy but the Sabbath is a good gift of God. It points us, in fact, to something even greater. In fact, Hebrews connects Sabbath rest with the true and better promised land. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from, from his. See, for Christians, the Sabbath is a reminder that we are in Christ, that we live under the grace of God. And one day, we will enter that final rest of the true promised land. Glory. One day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, in order to understand all of this, we need to know what the Sabbath truly is. So look at these verses again here in verses 1 to 3. Let me read them again. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel, say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Now, <clears throat> the first thing that we need to understand from this law is that Sabbath rest is a complete ceasing of all work. Sabbath rest is a complete ceasing of all work. So as the Lord introduces this section of the law here, He calls these, these holidays, He calls them appointed feasts, or some versions might just say appointed festivals. And He says that, that while they belong to Him, they belong to God, it is the responsibility of the people to set these feasts apart as holy convocations, holy assemblies. 
In other words, the Lord, the Lord calls His people to proclaim, to call these sacred assemblies beginning with the Sabbath day here in verse 3. The law specified that the Israelites were to work on six days leading up to the Sabbath. Get all your work done on those six days. And then just to clear up a bit of confusion, uh, the word work actually means assignment or mission or, or something along the lines of employment. And so it specifically refers to a person's occupation, their daily assigned task. Later, uh, later Jewish commentaries on this, um, like the Mishnah, it, it lists out 39 specific works that had to cease. But those are the traditions of men. That's what Jesus calls them. Those are the traditions of men that the Pharisees were teaching as law, but they were not God's law. The point here uh, in the law uh, was that, they, that ordinary work had to stop. Okay? Jesus did not break the fourth commandment. We all kind of understand that, but that was the one they went after him for. He didn't break the fourth commandment to, to observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He did not break this law here. He broke their man-made laws that had turned Sabbath rest into a burden. Jesus specifically healed people on the Sabbath to remind the people of the true meaning of Sabbath rest, which is the healing of salvation and the true rest that only comes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so this law here addresses a, a ceasing of work, a break from regular occupation to rest. And, and actually, a, a literal translation of this would read something like this, a Sabbath of Sabbath rest. This is a complete ending type of Sabbath. It, it was to be an unplugging, a, a turning off, a, not even thinking about work, right? D they were not even to look at their cell phones. They were not even to check their email. That's the idea here. They're meditating instead on the rest of God. Here's the problem. And the people of Israel would have seen this. When sin entered into creation, Genesis chapter 3, it ruined Sabbath rest because man was no longer in fellowship with the Creator. The thing that the Sabbath originally signified, a divine rest in a perfect creation, that has now been destroyed when sin comes into the picture. And so for the rest of the book of Genesis, we see nothing about the Sabbath. Because sin did two things. It, uh, well, sin did a lot of things, but it did these two things. It made Sabbath rest impossible and God began working again. God began working again, and he began the work of redemption. So Genesis chapter 3, immediately following sin, verse 15 says this, and then I'm going to read verse 21, and, and listen for the work of God in redemption in these two verses. Genesis 3.15, he declares to uh, the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then verse 21 says, 
And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the ongoing work of redemption. This is what Jesus was referring to in John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, which says this, This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. It's the work of redemption. And so at Mount Sinai, here, the Sabbath could be instituted because God has now redeemed His people and and covenanted with them. He has saved them from their slavery in Egypt and He has brought them into relationship with Him. But the difference is, is that this is a foreshadow of the rest of redemption to come in Jesus Christ. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 says this, You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Rest, knowing that God has saved you, he says. Rest, knowing that God has redeemed you. The Sabbath rest is a celebration of God's work of redemption. The people of Israel, it was their redemption from their Egyptian slavery. The Christian Sabbath, for us, is a celebration of Jesus Christ's work of redemption. That's why we celebrate it on the day of His resurrection, on the Lord's Day, as both Paul and John will call it later in the New Testament. So this is what it means to keep the Sabbath. It means this, to live in the promise of a restored rest through the work of Jesus Christ. To keep the Sabbath is to live in the promise of a restored rest through the work of Jesus Christ. What does this have to do with our regular employment? What does this have to to do with our 9 to 5 or whatever kind of job you work? Well, the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua is essentially the account of the people of Israel conquering the promised land. So all of what we've been reading is leading up to their, their leaving Mount Sinai and going to the land that was promised to them. And Joshua is the account of them actually going into the promised land. Consider at the end of the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 to 45, very, very near the end of that conquest, it says this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Their job, their assignment was to go and take the promised land. And when they took it, Joshua 21 says, God gave them rest. He gave them rest. Consider 2 Samuel chapter 7. You could really read the whole chapter. 
This is a chapter where God makes a covenant with David and uh, that his descendant would, would sit on the throne forever. But that account opens with this. So 2 Samuel 7 begins this way. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And we know that he would go then. Uh, he wanted to build the temple. And the Lord said, You can't build it, but you can gather the materials, and Solomon will build it, and, and your, your son will sit on the throne forever, having rest. Rest is associated with the people of Israel exercising dominion over the promised land. Can you hear the echoes of the garden, of the Garden of Eden? Rest, rest for the people of Israel, it's associated with, with exercising dominion over the promised land. And we know because of, because of our blessed hope of eternity that the true promised land is the rest of a new heaven and a new earth. It is the rest of glory. This is what it means to keep the Sabbath. It is, it is to live in the promise of an eternal, restored rest through the work of Jesus Christ. And so the Sabbath was given to us as a day of rest, looking forward to the rest of eternity. But it's, it's not just a day to, to lay on the couch or sit by the pool. As awesome as that sounds right now. The Sabbath rest is expressed here in a solemn assembly, a holy convocation, a gathering together. The Sabbath rest is expressed in a solemn assembly. The Lord required the people of Israel to regularly stop and celebrate their common faith. And it was to be a, the ESV here uses the words, holy convocation, a sacred assembly. Now that does, that does not mean that it was a time for Robert's Rules of Order and some kind of mundane community business. This was not an assembly to, to discuss the color of the carpet or to approve the annual budget. This was a holy convocation, a sacred assembly assembly. So the question is, what were they to do? What were they to do on the Sabbath? We actually don't know. There's no further instruction there. For all of those other feasts that we'll look at in the coming week or weeks, however long it takes us. For all the other feasts, there's all kinds of instructions, sacrifices and this and that. But for them, this is all we have. Verse 3, do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places, all wherever you live. The law here doesn't give any instructions as to what the people were to do. We do have a couple of glimpses into some historical sources that give us, I think, a glimpse of what Sabbath day or Sabbath rest looked like for the people. And so Philo, who was a Greek-speaking Jewish philosopher living at the time of the New Testament, 
He wrote that the day was intended to be a day of joy, relaxation, and meditating on what he called philosophy and wisdom. We would call it the Bible. And then additionally, the Jewish historian Josephus, he said that Moses allowed the people to rest so that they could listen to the law, to God's word. We do have a glimpse from Scripture. Later in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, when he was warning the people that their sin was going to get them sent into captivity, into Babylon, nevertheless, he gave them this promise for when they came back. So when they were to come back from their captivity, after their punishment, Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14 says this, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, from the mouth, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then when they do return, that's a promise of when you come back, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make it a delight. And when they do return, Ezra, um, Ezra gets up and he reads the law. We read this in Nehemiah chapter 8. So they're coming back to uh, the, the promised land from their captivity. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9, we read this. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. For the first time in 70 years, they heard God's word read, even, even in Jerusalem, and they wept. We don't actually know what day of the week Ezra and the Levites did that, but the concept of Sabbath rest is all over that. He, he says to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to your Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of of the Lord is your strength. Sabbath rest is expressed in a, in a solemn assembly, an assembly of great rejoicing, for God has redeemed them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And then, and then finally, we have to remember that the Sabbath rest belongs to the Lord. Sabbath rest belongs to the Lord. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Verse 3 says, that means it belongs to him. It is his Sabbath, just like in Genesis chapter 2. 
That's why we say that the first day of the week is the Lord's day. It belongs to him. It belongs to the one who declared it is finished. Finished the work of, the work of recreation is complete. Redemption has been accomplished, Jesus declared. It is finished. The Sabbath points to something far greater. It points to a true and final rest. This is why Jesus can say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest comes because Jesus said it is finished. The work is done. Redemption has been accomplished. And then just a few verses after that, that's from Matthew chapter 11, just a couple verses later, he says this, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So consider this. This is true. We have a Sabbath rest. We can come together as a, as a solemn assembly and sing praises to God. We can come together and offer up prayers, ask for God to intervene. We can hear from his word. We can pray with one another. We can, we can eat together and share food and make sure nobody goes without. We can do all of these things together because Jesus' redemption is accomplished. It is finished. The work is done. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not by works, not by your works or mine, rather by Jesus' works, so that no one may boast. And so now we come, we come to the supper, and we eat, and we drink, and we declare with great rejoicing, it is finished. We can rest. We can rest. It is finished. Pray with me. Father, help us to understand. Help us to be able to unplug in whatever way that, that needs to look like for us. Whatever rest physical rest looks like, that we might rest spiritually in the finished work of Christ, and that that rest would lead to physical rest, it would lead to, to mental rest, that we would be able to, to rest fully, knowing that it is finished, knowing that Christ has had victory over sin and death, knowing that the work of redemption of, of redeeming for himself a people for his own possession has been accomplished. Father, we come to you as your people asking that you would give us rest, that you would give us rest from the works that we have tried to do, but that Christ has done for us, that we might rest in his finished work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.